Hello and welcome to The Scrum. It's the podcast from WGBH where we talk about politics and media, at least as a rule, here in Boston and nationally. And this week we're doing something a little bit different. We're having a conversation with Pete Stidman, the founder and executive director of the Boston Cyclist Union, who is about to leave his post after Pete. How many, uh, how many years and months? I've been here uh, five and a half years since I started the bike union. Let me start by asking you, Pete, why you chose to have us meet you here. We are sitting right now at the Forest Hills Tea Station in uh, not the shadow, I guess, but a stone's throw away from the Casey Overpass, which is currently, it looks post-apocalyptic to me. I mean, it's ripped up, it's not functioning. I told Peter Kadzis driving over here, it looked like something from Planet of the Apes. Why did you want to meet us here? <laughs> well, um, obviously you gotta have a little vision to see it, but this is one of the most exciting projects that I was working on in the last five years. Um, I helped a, a lot of community activists from Jamaica Plain um, turn this from a highway bridge into what it's gonna be an at-grade uh, boulevard with an adjacent park that connects Franklin Park and the Arboretum. And from here, from the exit of the Fort Hills, Forest Hills Tea Station right now, you can, for the first time in 50 years, see Franklin Park. So this is gonna be pretty soon uh, a gateway to the, the great parks that we have here in uh, Boston. So what, and I think I have a sense of why that's gonna be good for cyclists, but what is that gonna mean in, in the most concrete terms possible for the cycling community? Well, this I, we see as a node in a new network and also a piece of the re-completion of Frederick Law Olmsted's emerald necklace. So there's actually a, a new idea, a new concept to connect the Arboretum now to Jamaica Pond. And, you know, piece by piece, there's other people talking about the Charles Gate. During the Olympics, they were talking about Columbia Road, which Olmsted himself never completed. Um, but piece by piece, we're rebuilding the Emerald Necklace as something that you could experience. They used to do it by horse, but now by bicycle. When cyclists ride on, is it going to still be the Casey Overpass, by the way, when the renovation is done, or will there be a new name? Do you know? It'll be the Casey Arborway. Okay. When people ride their bikes on the Casey Arborway, uh, what are what path are they going to be following? Will it be a dedicated bike lane? Will it be a shared car and bike lane? Will it be a cycle track or something I'm failing to think of here? Sure, it, it actually will be probably one of the best bike facilities in the city. It's much more like the Southwest Quarter. So it'll have two uh, two-way bike paths, one on each side of the street to the north and the south of the new boulevard and connecting right up into the parks. So not only the paths connecting the parks, the greenway as well. So tell me just briefly, because I want to um, focus on you know bigger picture thoughts, I guess, maybe forward-looking stuff. But when you founded the Cyclist Union five and a half years ago, what was the space that you saw unfilled that you wanted to fill with that organization? Yeah, I had actually been a reporter before I was doing the bike union, and I had was reported, at? it was at the Dorchester Reporter with the Foy family who actually helped me learn a lot about city processes and what was going on politically. So, um, you know, I had been watching public processes as a reporter, sitting through meetings, talking to people behind the scenes and whatever. 
So I noticed a lot of times the advocates then fighting for Mass Ave and for other projects, um, what they were missing were uh, people in the neighborhood to come up and speak. So they'd often get in a situation where the advocates would come in with a plan that was great and the, and the neighborhood associations would have the same goals of making a, bike, a friendlier neighborhood for biking, walking, but they wouldn't see eye to eye because they're not from the neighborhood. They're coming in from outside and telling them what to do. So uh, a bunch of us decided that we needed something that would help organize cyclists at a grassroots level and convince people to get involved with their neighborhood associations and show up at meetings and just really start to have a voice. At the time, they're really, at least on this side of the river, on the Boston side, there wasn't much of a voice for cyclists. What has changed for the better in the five and a half years that you've been doing this, specifically for cyclists in the city of Boston? And what has not changed that you think really needs to? I really see the city uh, embracing cycling, uh, not completely in the way that we wanted, you know, we wanted to be like Amsterdam where you don't have to be afraid at all to bike, you don't even have to worry about wearing a helmet. But it, we're not quite there yet, but definitely the Walsh administration is uh, on board. Um, when uh, the mayor announced the Vision Zero uh, initiative, that was a huge uh, breaking point for us where we realized that, you know, that, that encompasses pretty much everything we want. Can we you describe Vision Zero for people who don't know it? Yeah, Vision Zero is basically stating that the goal of the city is to have zero fatalities on the roadway. And that includes not just cyclists, but also pedestrians, which are getting hit at least as often as cyclists and, and getting killed at least as often as cyclists, but people don't hear about it. Um, and also uh, roadway fatalities, which really I, I'm sure like at least half of those we don't hear about. Um, I got to ask you, I actually want to go back to a few things you just mentioned there, but how does Mayor Walsh compare with Mayor Menino on cycling issues? I had the impression that Mayor Menino saw himself as part of the cycling community in a way that I haven't been aware of, of Mayor Walsh seeing himself. I remember Mayor Menino at the launch of Hubway talking about his membership in that community as he understood it as being something that he really valued a great deal. So how does uh, the current mayor compare to his predecessor? You know, Mayor Menino started the programs. Um, he wasn't always uh, sold on everything we asked for. Um, mayor Walsh right now, I think, is taking the fir programs further than uh, Menino did. And oh, interesting. Building upon that legacy. So I think, and I, the, when I heard the Mayor Walsh defending the ConAv cycle track plan that we came up with, um, it was as if he was a bike advocate. He knew the lingo like Menino quite, didn't quite have. So, I mean, Menino would ride with us and and certainly Hubway is something else that he brought that just, it was a game changer in Boston. So I don't want to sell him short at all, but um, you know, one builds on the other, I guess. Let's back up because I have at best a tenuous grasp of the terminology here, and there are gonna be at least some listeners who don't have any grasp. So tell, tell me what a cycle track is and why you think we need one on ComEv. Well, a cycle track, first of all, is the one thing that we know actually reduces crashes and also 
the thing that helps people cycle more. It invites people to cycling. What it is, is basically, if you can imagine a regular old bike lane next to the parked cars, and you move that to the other side of the parked cars in between the sidewalk and, uh, and the parked cars, and then expand that a little bit so that there's a buffer. So even if a car opens its door, it's not gonna hit you. So you're completely safe and separated from pedestrians also. So you have your own space on the road. Uh, it gets a little more complicated when you get to the intersection, but there are some things that they do to make that safe. And, and help me here, I'm trying to imagine the one cycle track I know of, which is I think on Western Avenue. Um, the, the cars are actually creating a barrier between, the cars that are parked are creating a barrier between the traffic that's in motion and the cyclists, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. So you want to create that on ComEd, is that going to happen? According to uh, Interim Commissioner Galuli at the time and now Gian Fiandaka and the mayor, yes, that's going to happen. We actually uh, organized a bike ride with the mayor where we illustrated exactly what the door zone is and he understood perfectly the danger, you know. When, when you're out there, I think a lot of the debates that we have could be greatly helped if people would just ride a bike once in a while and feel like what it's like for someone who's getting around that way. And we're not going to get to 10, 20, 30 percent of people biking until we actually have facilities where you feel safe or, or you know, children feel safe. And that's that's the cycle tracks and that's the kind of network that we're promoting. So what are some of the pitfalls? If someone happens to be listening who's inspired to, to uh, say, okay, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and I'm going to learn what it's like to ride a bike in the city of Boston. I don't know if we have that sort of power with this podcast, but I like <laughs> to think that we might. What are the things that people should be on the lookout for? You say that after uh, you do it a few times, you can become aware of the dangers that you need to, to um, guard against, but give, give me a preview or give anyone who might be listening a preview. What's dangerous? Well, I'll, I'll give you the top three. Um, so the top three kinds of crashes that happen, and I, I study the crash data, it's another thing that we did, um, but right hand turns, left hand turns, and dooring. Dooring is one fifth of crashes. So if you simply stay four feet away from any parked car or any moving car for, or stop car, because taxis sometimes open up, you can eliminate one-fifth of your risk. And during, just to break it down in the most sort of layman-friendly, layperson-friendly terms possible, you're on a bike, you're riding by a car that is probably stationary, and someone just opens the door, and you smash right into it. Absolutely, and it catches so many people. Um, and then for turning movements, when you're coming to an intersection, you really need to stay visible, and sometimes you need to take the lane. You know, you can't... Uh, you're used to being in the bike lane over to the right, but when you get to the intersection, you need to pop out a little bit so that nobody can sort of pass you and then take a right real quick and, and take you out. Do we know if that is what happened when Anita Kurman was killed last week at Beacon Street in Mass Ave? Yeah, um, actually that's another really big safety issue is the large vehicles. So in her case, uh, she was riding right next to a large tractor trailer and the tractor trailer I imagine started to veer left because it was about to turn right and when that happens a lot of cyclists assume they're changing lanes to go left especially if there's no signal um, 
and that's that's how that tra tragedy happened. And that's about probably somewhere on the order of 60% of our fatalities are cars caused by large vehicles in, in a similar way. So when you talk about Boston not having everything that you as an advocate would like to see in terms of making a cycle-friendly city, um, you've talked about the need for more cycle tracks. What else falls under the umbrella of things that we have not yet done that you believe we should do? Well, I want to emphasize that that is the key thing. I, cities around the world have experimented with all kinds of different ways to improve cycling. All of them agree that we need uh, cycle tracks. We have a campaign called Bikeways for Everybody that's trying to prioritize the main routes that we need. What um, are those main routes, by the way? Um, we talked ComAv, where else would you like to see tracks? Well, we have these 15 mile long things. The first line's called the, the, first line's called the Harbor Line bikeway that goes from Mattapan Square all the way to Assembly Row. A lot of it's along the Dorchester coast and through the Connect Historic Boston uh, cycle track downtown that they're building right now in front of TD Garden and then over the North Washington Bridge up Rutherford and onto the Mystic River. Um, so that's the first one. Now we're working on one uh, on going out west. It's the Western Bikeway to connect Com Ave uh, between the Common and then all the way over to the Charles River out to the west. So let's say that Boston builds several of these cycle tracks that you want to see built. You know, there's concrete evidence that these things help improve the climate for cyclists. Is there something about the way people drive in Boston? And again, I'm speaking here as a transplant. I don't want to put my transplant's words into your mouth, but I feel like when I happen to go back to the state I grew up in, I grew up in Minnesota, there's a lot more cycling there than there used to be. The roads are so wide and the people are so patient. And you don't see, you know, you'll get road rage on occasion, but I feel like you don't see the anger manifested regularly and the territoriality manifested regularly that I see here a lot on the roadways. Um, but maybe I'm not being fair to Boston. Is there a cultural piece which, no matter how much physical infrastructure we create, is going to pose problems for cycling comfort? Uh, <laughs> I think... I think Boston people are pretty nice. I might have lived here too long. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Minnesota, um, it's crazy nice. It's too nice. I, I, I think, uh, I don't think there's any cultural thing that prevents us from really doing this. I think, you know, a lot of people talk about how narrow the streets are. Um, but I think Boston has some real advantages in that it's very dense. And because our streets are organically created, the, the cow pass myth and all that. Um, Is it a myth, by it, the way? I, I love it. I, <laughs> I hope it's not a myth. But. Could be, could, I'm not sure. Um, but basically what that does is it reduces the detour factor. It's called so that any place you want to go, you can almost take a street, be, straight beeline there if you know the 37 turns to take. And that means that every your trips are shorter, actually. So any other city with the grid cities, you have to take a right angle to get there. You know, so you're using more time. Yeah, yeah, okay. Just a couple more, maybe rapid fiery type questions for you. I want to throw at you just a couple of the things that you'll hear grumpy drivers. I hear some of them in the WGBH newsroom. I don't think I'm one of them. But that you'll hear grumpy motorists say about cyclists. First off, uh, why isn't he or she wearing a helmet riding on this busy street? What's your cyclist response to that? I think that's kind of a cop-out 
because cyclists aren't the one out there causing damage. The reason that we're here talking about this is because somebody just got hit by a truck or you know the people get hit by cars cars are the ones causing the carnage and i think we need to i mean another big initiative that we work on is to try to lower speeds um, and to increase the responsibilities of the driver when they get in these kinds of crashes because right now you know that truck driver can say oh, i didn't see him and there's he's he's got no consequences uh, and i think that's a problem I mean, and really, it's the only kind of transportation mode where people say, you got to armor up because just in case I hit you. And, it, you know, like you're not wearing a helmet. That means I could get in bigger trouble if I hit you. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really yeah. make sense to me. And I sometimes uh, ride without a helmet when I'm in the neighborhood because I'm not going through some of the more dangerous streets in the city. Another one I'm sure you've heard many times is, uh, you know, motorists sitting at a, a light, the light changes, and a cyclist doesn't want to break speed. Well, I'm, I'm interpreting their motives here. A cyclist cruises through a traffic light rather than obeying it, um, or traffic signal, and the motorist then says either to their fellow passenger or when they get to work, you know, I'm fine with sharing the roads with bicyclists, but I want them to obey the same rules as me. What's your answer to that, Greg? Well, I mean, every different user breaks the rules in different ways like a lot of people don't use blinkers ever in boston you mentioned yeah. <laughs> red lights being run which yeah. happens all the time and actually just today uh, a really annoying comment i saw on twitter or somewhere where somebody some grumpy guy said that i just saw two motorcyclists blow the red light on mass ave and beacon that's not how the crash this happened. is where the that's where not how the crash happened killed. She did not run a red light. She got. She was in the bike lane. The truck turned right on her. She had. She was entirely blameless. And I think. All, you know, if you really want people to wait at the red light, you need to give them a safe place to wait and a safe place across the way when they get to the other side. And that, that takes us back to the cycle track thing, because if you have that, there's no reason for you to hurry. You know. You, and then, in fact. When you do have a system of cycle tracks, we've seen, like in um, Europe or even up in Montreal now, you get a lot more of the calm riders, the families, I was the up there folks. with my wife about a year ago and was blown away by how, how different it felt just watching people cycle around. There were yeah. tracks everywhere. Yeah, right now we have road wires flying everywhere. And even on the, they get on the bike pass and they're buzzing by, they got their helmet on, full gear. Uh, and they're whipping by, you know, baby strollers. But that's because the road has turned them into that. It's, it's like uh, sociology or, uh, you know, you, your environment creates you. All right, just in closing, uh, can you give a parting exhortation to any people who might be drivers who are listening? And maybe if you want to give an exhortation to, uh, to any cyclists who are listening as well? Sure. Um, I would say to drivers, uh, experiment ride a bike right that's the best thing you could possibly do um you know there's bikes not bombs you can volunteer there and ride with the kids if you like or just find a way find a friend do boston bike party but once you get out on two wheels you just gain a real perspective and start to understand some of the behavior that annoys you um and i would say to cyclists that 
if you're not already, get involved. Join your local neighborhood association. Uh, get involved with the bike union or Mass Bike or Louisville Streets or one of the other advocacy groups out there. And, uh, you know, participate in the recreation of our city. I think Boston is beautiful. I love this city and I see so much potential in it because we've had such great luck in our history to have people like Frederick Law Olmsted and, uh, you know, a lot of the architects. <laughs> All right. Pete Stidman is the founder and executive director, the outgoing executive director of the Boston Cyclist Union. Pete Stidman, thanks for talking with us. Appreciate it. And good luck in the new gig, by the way. Thanks so much, Adam. Pleasure to be here. That's going to do it for this episode of The Scrum. I'm Adam Riley. Pete Stidman, again, was our guest. You can find past episodes of The Scrum on iTunes. You could also, if you're so inclined, leave a generous complimentary review while you're there. You can also find links to past episodes on our website, wgbhnews.org scrum, along with links to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundClouds, all that kind of stuff. Once more, I'm Adam Riley. Our producer today was Amanda McGowan. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. You walk in, farewell.